Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Well, good morning. We are uh, essentially wrapping up our series on Hebrews today. Maybe some brief thoughts associated uh, next week with baptism. Um, we can, there's a great picture in baptism that will summarize uh, what we've been studying. So we can look at that. But we really come to the final application that the writer has been, you know, guiding us toward all, all this time. And it's in these two verses right here. Uh, through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, acknowledging his name. And do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. Here is our key word. Now, remember when we looked at this text before, we're sort of in the middle of chapter 13, and we were kind of surrounded by these community elements, our leaders on both sides. That's what the red represents. And then inside was sort of how life works, what dictates the community that we live in, is really the cross is what we've been seeing. So there was a, out of that section, there was a theological piece to it. We looked at last week, and this week is the application piece. So we're focusing in on these two verses, which it just seems like the whole book is just sort of uh, driving to uh, these two verses that we just looked at. Um, Remember that when we got to the end of, uh, let's see it here. When we got to the end of Hebrews, or we started at the beginning of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 28. And then you have uh, 28 and 29 is where we started. And then 21 is the end of Hebrews. And remember, we looked at this whole idea of pleasing God on both sides. Ends. So whatever Hebrews 13 was going to teach us, it was going to teach us how to worship God in devotion and awe, how to, how to please him, really. And so remember, our God is a devouring fire. Um, and in between, what were the verses that we're looking at now are sort of stuffed in between there, right in the center. Right in the center of this comes the text we're looking at today, which is also teaching us how to please God. All right? So, um, so we learn God is this fire. And uh, we learn that God is this beautiful, holy, sort of overwhelming presence. And he's um, either going to consume you or transform you. That's what this fire does. It's not to be toyed with. The serious message in Hebrews. So the question really becomes as we approach the book, as we approach this section, how do we live in the presence of God? How do you survive that fire? How do you live acceptably in God's presence? And so the language here, as you're going to see, becomes very, very, you know, sacrificial, reminiscent of the Old Testament. Because if you were going to ask the question in the Old Testament, how do you live acceptably in the presence of God? You would have to turn to the book of Leviticus. 
Um, Leviticus is where all good intention Bible readers go to die. Uh, everybody dies in Leviticus. There's things getting killed all over the place in that book. And there's sacrifices and um, bodies everywhere. It's a bloody book. And so the Leviticus would tell you how to live acceptably in the presence of God in the Old Testament because it would say, well, you need to eat the right thing before you come into God's presence. Uh, you need to wear the right thing. Uh, it would tell you uh, how to wash yourself so you could be clean. It would give you rituals and observances and performances. and be an infinite number of them. And... Um, I mean, to approach the tabernacle in the Old Testament would be overwhelming. It was overwhelmingly frightening for Israel. Because there were so many potential missteps that something impure or unholy would get into the presence of God and be consumed. Just and so every move, everything you said, everything you did, uh, approaching the tabernacle was scary. It was very intimidating. The, the end of... Hebrews 12 told us the horror that they lived with, with that approaching Sinai with all these thunders. And... But in Christ, which Hebrews is the, is the book that helps us trans, sort of move, transport from Leviticus in the Old Testament to what it's like to live acceptably in God's presence today in Christ. And of course, it's radically different because we saw last week that Christ died outside the camp, outside that holy place of Israel, uh, where if you stepped outside that line, you were unholy. God, Christ died outside the camp. In other words, he came out to the unholy and made holy what was on the outside. So he did away with the holy place and the holy rituals. Uh, and opened up a new way to God so that Hebrews 13 really becomes sort of our Leviticus. The gospel of grace. And how do you live acceptably in God's presence? So when you come to Hebrews 13, we learn that because of grace, because of Christ's death on the cross, we've been cleansed internally, declared holy by that sacrifice. It purified us. It qualified us to live in God's presence. And the people who've experienced that grace, they know exactly what, to find, what they're going to find in that fire when they come to it. They're not afraid of that fire. They're drawn to that fire. They recognize the seriousness of being able to live in God's presence and survive. People who have experienced grace know it. And they desire the, the life-transforming, life-shaping holiness of God. They don't take it for granted. They do what Hebrews 12 says. Pursue holiness. They run toward holiness. So you think about it this way. If Christ came outside all the holy places and died outside of those, it was a way to say, don't need the holy places and rituals anymore. I'm going to make you holy I'm going to make you holy before the Father, and it's going to make you want to be holy. You're going to want to pursue holy because of it, or holiness because of it. That's essentially what we're talking about. Now, people who've experienced that, they, they never get over that. 
Um, when I was highlighting this this morning, I, I, I pulled out my copy of uh, Knowledge of the Holy because it, it just hit me what A.W. Tozer said. He said, all the problems of heaven and earth, you think about all the problems in the world, all the problems out in the world, all the problems in your life, all the problems everywhere. He says, all the problems of heaven and earth, they would, though they were the, to confront us together and at once, would be nothing compared with the overwhelming problem of God. That he is, what he's like, and what we as moral beings must do about him. The man who comes to a right belief about God is relieved of 10,000 temporal problems. For he sees at once that these have to do with matters, which at the most cannot concern him for very long. But even if the multiple burdens of time could be lifted from us, the one mighty single burden of eternity begins to press down on him with a weight more crushing than all the woes of the world piled upon one another. And that mighty burden is his obligation to God. And he goes on to say, it includes an instant and lifelong duty to love God with every power of our mind and soul, to obey him perfectly, to worship him acceptably. And when the man's laboring conscience tells him that he has done none of these things, but has from childhood been guilty of foul revolt against the majesty in heavens, the inner pressure of that self-accusation may become too heavy to bear. But then he writes, but the gospel can lift this destroying burden from the mind. That's what Hebrews is saying. That burden of approaching the unapproachable, of trying to survive in the presence of what we cannot survive in, is made possible by Christ and because of what he's done. That's what he's writing. Uh, now you think, okay, how do we live in this fire? How do we live in that presence of God? How do we experience God? And remember when we started, when you, what's the next verse after verse 29 that squeezes right in here in between these? We remember, brotherly love must continue. That's our word Philadelphia, which means brotherly love. And it sort of just, just props up a canopy over the entire chapter such that you, there's no way you can please God. You cannot come out of chapter 12 and please God unless you are operating within that community. It's impossible to do. And so people who want to live in the presence of God, who are drawn to that fire, want to be transformed, they're also drawn to community. So this transforming presence of God, how do we experience it? With one another. You know, we've said that every way you can say it over the last few months. Uh, believers... Um, Listen, this is how God is made known. This is how we experience God together. Uh, God has always seen fit that who he is is made known through a community of people. Never one person. One person could never do it. How many people does it take to show all the colors of God's love? 
How many people do you think it takes? If you want to know who God is, you've got to be around him because his light reflects them. You know, when we get to heaven, we're talking about this eternal city we're all going to live in. You know what that city is about? That city is about community. We're going to, God's people are going to pervade that whole space, the all of created reality. And we're going to run the universe with him. And we're going to live out of the resource of him right in our presence. You won't need the sun anymore. No need for vitamin D. You know, you need to be taking vitamin D every day if you take nothing else. God knows there's a hundred other things we need to be taking because we're all falling apart. But vitamin D is at the top of everybody's list. And you won't need a dermatologist there either. All of your bones will be resourced in a way that you can reflect the love of God with each other and to each other. God would never just sit there in the middle and just look at me. He shows his love through us. And he's doing it now until we get to that city. Uh, and so this word here, this is a very special word, continue. That's the same word for remain, where he says up in chapter 12 and verse 28, remember when he says, you're receiving, you are already receiving an unshakable kingdom that's going to remain. It's going to be there forever. This is very important. It's going to be there forever. And then in chapter 13 verse 14 where he says you're going to receive a lasting city. That's a remaining city. It's the same word as this. It's the same word up here. You're getting an unshakable kingdom that never go away. You're seeking a city that will always last. And you're going to be involved in community that must likewise always remain. You're going to live in this thriving, booming metropolis of God. You're going to do it together. And so that's why we've said all along in this series... Um, Faith and community go together. They run together. Uh, so the writer of Hebrews wants you to stay on this journey, wants you to persevere, he does not want you to get off this journey, he doesn't want you to put the cross in your rearview mirror and have some, just something in your past and then something you just bail out. Somewhere along the line, you just bail out of where we're headed. So you lose your faith and you lose the community. They're intertwined with one another, benefit one another. That's what we've seen. And here's what the writer doesn't want you to do. The writer doesn't want you to conclude that somehow because we've left all those rituals, all those fancy routines that made us, you know, gave us something tangible to do. Um, and then you put, you, know, you put the cross in your past. And for us, it just sort of feels like, yeah, we got saved a long time ago, but that cross is not still in our life. Christ is not overly present in our life. It's something in the past. And here's what he's trying to say is, no, 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 no. What Christ did for us has implications for how we live now. And something's completely wrong with your faith. If you only have a, a, a past faith and a cross in your past, that's why the writer of Hebrews said this to us last week. We have an altar. We don't have an altar like the ones in, in Leviticus had where they got to run around and be careful and all holy. We have a different kind of altar where Christ died on the cross and we're supposed to go out to him. We have an altar to go to. Well, what do you do at altars? What do you do? 
You make sacrifices. That's what you do. So you go outside the camp where he was because we're holy now. We don't need holy places. We got a different kind of altar. He's already cleansed us. So we can be outside the camp, but we got to bear the burden, bear the pain of the cross. So we got to go out there and make our sacrifices uh, to live for him. So you can't just have a cross in your past. Go out to him means you got to go out to a cross every day. You say, how do you make it all the way to the city? You keep pursuing the cross all the way there. We're going to see what's the logic of that and what does it mean and why is it important? And he just wraps it up trying to say this all along. Uh, This is the language of discipleship in the writer of Hebrews. You're used to it in the Gospels. You're used to it falling off the lips of Jesus. Want to save your life? Lose it. You got to lose it. You want to follow me? Pick up your cross. Deny yourself. It's the language of death. The cross is the language of death. An altar is a place of death. It's a bloody place. It's a painful place. And so he does something very interesting here. If, if we got to make sacrifices along the way and we're trying to figure out how to please God, how to please him, and that's what our text is teaching us, through him, because of what he's done for us, we need to continually offer, here's our offerings at the altar. The first one is a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, acknowledging his name. That's the first one. The second one is, do not neglect good or share what you have, for God is pleased, pleased, there's our word, with such sacrifices. You see sacrifices on both ends. You're going out to the altar. You're going out to the cross. That's the language of discipleship. But you're going to offer them sacrifices. What he's going to do is something very profound. He's going to take the language of discipleship you're used to hearing. He's going to convert it into that very high, holy language of Leviticus and sacrificial uh, sort of offerings well what that does is that takes the humiliating self-denying action and it puts it in these beautiful acts of worship so that running out to the cross isn't just something you do just to die it's an act of worship to God Uh, The action of running out to this cross to die is transformed then into the great privilege of coming into God's presence, into the presence of a holy God and not being consumed with a grateful heart, so grateful that that fire didn't eat you up, that you offer yourself back in holy sacrifices. That's what these verses are teaching us. He's giving you a different language for that discipleship. And it, it's an incredible challenge and it has tremendous um, uh, implications for the way that we approach the spiritual life. 
So let's look at these two things. And I want you to see that the first one here, the first one, verse 15, this is confession. This is our confession. Now let me tell you what I mean by that. This is our faith. That's this word. Confessing his name. All right, the word confession all the way through Hebrews. It's used four times. We've seen it. Hold fast your confession. Don't let go of your faith. This is the same way of saying what he's been saying the whole book. Don't let go of your faith, only he couches it in this Leviticus Old Testament language of sacrifice and praise and the fruit of our lips. So let's talk about that one first. It's just a summary of everything he said, but in a unique way. So this confession we have. So I want you to think about the horror, what we've said over this time, because this is, this is a very verbal thing. You talk about lips and the sacrifice of praise. You just read this in the Psalms. Um, they, you know, approach the tabernacle and things like that. So um, Hebrews has taught us that you know one of the one of the extreme cases of letting go of your faith is this verbal denial, where you verbally come to the point where you say, "I don't want Christ in my life anymore." He says it's very similar to like walking over him, just treating him as if he was nothing. That's what happens when you turn your back on him, as if this sacrifice that Christ made wasn't the highest offering God could make. And so he says in here, that would be the worst possible scenario. But what would be the opposite of that? The opposite of that would be a verbal exaltation, a verbal praise coming out of my mouth. That the way I would communicate my confession and my faith has this sort of corporate worship element to it. Which is incredibly interesting. As if to say your faith should be, you should have such a good hold on it that rather than deny him in any way, you exalt him in every way that you can with your lips. As if one of, the, one of the means by which you hold on to your faith is this high praise. What would anyone else do who, got, who was able to survive in front of the fire of God's presence? This would be the natural response of that. So let me see if I can make this a little more practical because it's a challenge it's very challenging to figure out what in the world he's saying by this so hear this see if this helps all of a sudden my praise and my worship which all are coming into play because of the levitical system and the way they went through all their motions what motions do we go through he says when we praise and worship our praise and our worship and our faith converge converge and blend together In such a way that I look at the sacrifices of following Christ and rather than focus on the cost of following him, I focus on the fact that it's worth it and that it's more valuable than anything I'll lose here. That's what it's saying. Somehow they blend together. That the faith that I'm holding on to, when we gather corporately and extol God together, even if you don't sing, but you should, 
And not because of me, it's just because, you know, listen to this. This is, this is how, you want to call me corny? If I'm reading the Bible and it says use my lips, what do you think that means? Tell me what it means. It means use your dang lips. It ought to be that simple for all of us. You know, I'm no singer, and I don't always want to sing. I don't even always like what we sing. And my wife has a big part of that. Now, you don't think I say it, do you? All I know is my lips have to be involved together with you confirming my faith. And I will tell you this, this happens to me, and maybe it happens to you. Um, There are moments, I'll bet there's at least three a month where I'll be singing a song and it speaks to me in a way that's not academic. But it speaks to my faith and my life in a way uh, that that just knowledge isn't going to cut it. There's something about my voice acknowledging God in the highest. Acknowledging the role that he plays in my life. That helps me hold on to my faith at one time and challenges me at deepest levels that a talk isn't going to do. It hits me different. And I'll tell you, I wrote down a number of the things that I feel a lot. Um... I I sometimes realize in the middle of a song, I need to let go of something that I'm holding on to. It could be an opinion. It could be an attitude. It could be an action. But something in that, something while lifting up his name speaks to me more powerfully than anything else. And then there are times when... uh, I need to stop something. It could be anything. I go, I, I, need, to, I, need, to, I need to quit that. I need to quit thinking that way. I need to quit acting like this is true when it isn't. Um, I need to stop worrying. The odds are just about everyone in this room is panicked over something today. Um, something tightens in me that was a little loose when I walked in here. When I walked in here, I was a little loose. Wasn't sure I was going to give up that grudge. Wasn't sure I was going to let go of some of that money. Wasn't sure I was going to do I was a little loose internally. Until I started to sing and acknowledge God and acknowledge that he's highest. Did you see how we sang that this morning? Higher than anything? And all of a sudden. And that, and you're willing to release something you were clutching. Uh, I think every week there ought to be a moment in our time together. This is why getting together is important. There ought to be at least a time in here in a week. On, on, we, we march. We don't. Ju- we came in here a little loose, but when we left here, we were a little more tight. 
about what we're, how we're going to approach this week and what we're going to do and how serious we are about our faith. And it may cost us because it always costs. And it may cost you, but you're, but you're a little more adamant and you're less worried about the pain of what's going to be happening because you've just seen that your life is going about to be an offering to God. You know that that will be a sacrifice. That'll be an offering to God. And it hurts a little less because you know it's for him. The one who made it possible for you to survive that holy fire. And all of a sudden, the pain of discipleship launches into this. It's praise. It's an act of worship. You can't wait to do it. You couldn't stop yourself if you wanted to. Has that ever happened to you? That's what I'm talking about. And then he's not done because he just wrapped up all of the whole idea of faith and put it in this beautiful package of sacrifice and worship. Do you see pursuing the cross and holding on to your faith as an act of worship to God? A sacrifice that pleases him. And then there's the second one, which is the community piece. Oh, and don't neglect. And soon as you read this, this ought to have just ring in your ears. Well, I think he said that same thing earlier in chapter 3, verse 2, where he said, do not neglect hospitality. So all of a sudden, I know before he says another word, he's talking about community before he ever says another word. And then he says, do good and share. So there's this incredible rare word for kindness. It's not used anywhere else in the New Testament. Uh, And then there's this very familiar word share, which is koinonia. It's a word you've probably heard. People say it all the time. It's a Greek word. It means fellowship. And so he takes this rare idea and he fits it into here as if to say, yeah, come up with some really phenomenal ways to give your life, to partner with others. Because these are sacrifices God is pleased with. You're going to have to be. Caught up. There's no choice. You can't do it unless you're connected deeply in community and this and are experiencing this. Things launching out from you. It's either praise leaving you or it's selfishness leaving you. But if it's centered on you, you're never going to survive. You'll never, you'll never be fulfilled. You'll never find what you were created for. Uh, spiritual formation here's what one, one writer said. spiritual formation is always profoundly social you'll never become what you want to become until you're holding this confession like that in this corporate reality of praise and then living in community with one another here. Um, Here's all the things, if you want to know what he's going to be talking about here, here's all the things we learned that we do together in community that matter. The ones that he brought up in Hebrews. Brotherly love, we saw that in verse one, and then right there in verse two, hospitality to strangers, uh, care and support for suffering, sexual marital purity, and generosity. These are are givens. If you're going to live in the community, these are realities. If you're going to live in the fire of God's presence in community, it's a, it's, a, it's a holy place. No, you're not offering all these rituals, but it's a holy place. 
Say, so where's the holiness exhibit itself? Am I walking into the camp with a sacrifice and, and, a, and a bucket of water to wash myself? No. I'll tell you what you're doing. You're watching yourself morally and sexually. But you want to because you want to be where God wants you to be. Generosity, you're giving. Uh, all of these are going to cost you, by the way. Because you can't keep things. Uh, you can't take things that aren't yours. Uh, you got to love people who are hurting. Uh, can I tell you how weak your faith is if your heart's not broken on a daily basis about people in the community who are hurting? Can I tell you how weak it is? Hospitality to strangers, you know, all those lines in the sand that you draw, that I got enough friends, I got enough people, I got enough things to worry about. I don't need another person in my life. I don't need somebody else to care for. I don't need somebody else's hassles. You know how weak a faith you have? And then brotherly love, just caring for people. Loving one, all the dynamics of love. Being close. This is what he's saying here. You'll never be formed spiritually unless all of these things You're moving away from yourself toward that cross, which is really not just the pain of it, because most of you are going, I don't want to do all those things because it hurts. And here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. I don't want you to do it because it hurts. I want you to do it because it's a pleasing offering to God, because he loves it when you do it. Is that enough to motivate you? Because there's still people in this room I keep hearing, you know, through the, you know, all the rumor bird, you know, all the rumors about people who still say, I still don't believe you need to be in church and I still don't think you need to believe in you need to be in community, yeah? Well, here's a sacrifice you're saying to God, I can't offer this one to you, God, because I really don't like many of your people. (laughs) You don't get to say that. Um, We learned last week, and I'm uh, I'm just going to say it again. The writer of Hebrews is saying, and the whole New Testament is teaching, and the gospel's taught for sure, That you cannot learn any other spiritual lessons until you learn the lesson it's not about you. Until you learn that, I don't care what else you learn spiritually. It doesn't mean anything for your spiritual formation. You're not becoming who God wants you to be. If you're not moving away from yourself, And by the way, this isn't a technique. I'm not offering you a spiritual technique for spiritual formation. I'm saying it's a disposition. It's what people who've been, who've been loved into God's presence do. It overwhelms them. And have you felt it lately? Has anyone put up with you in a really remarkable way lately? Where you've just gone, I can't believe they still love me in there. Because it's happened to me. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it of being, of of that feeling, of knowing you're not gonna, you don't deserve this and you're getting it. And right now in my life, at multiple levels, I'm getting things I don't deserve. Do you feel that? Anybody making sacrifices for you? People listening to you, caring about you, because that's what we're talking about here. 
that move away from self. You just got to have it. Well, let me, let me wrap, let me give you two big thoughts about those two things. We, we've, we've hit them in every way you can hit them in Hebrews. And so what I want to do now is I just want to take you to the big city for a second. I just want to take you to the big city, which this series is about, because this is the city we're living for. This is the series that we're putting up, but this is why we're holding on to our faith. This is why we're hanging in there with community to get here. And when we get here, we're going to live in another big community of people. The way God has always designed it to be. Um, And without it, if you don't have that, then what do you have? Where are you headed? You have no home, no city, no place. Which means there's no ultimate hope, no, no meaning. You start to ask, well, why am I doing anything then? Well, that's a great question to ask. And the writer of Hebrews tells us, those of us who know Christ, two things that are really important about heading out to that cross and offering up those sacrifices and worshiping God because of what Christ has done for us. The first thing is this. You never lose anything, ultimately. That's what this city represents. This is where we're on our way to, and when you get there, everything is made whole and everything is made right. That means two things. Anything you lose here because of your faith. You're going to march out of this room, you know, all tight on the inside, ready to go, do whatever God wants you to do, and you're going to lose some stuff because of it. And here's what the the writer of Hebrews is saying. You never ultimately lose anything if you have this city. You never lose anything. Um, Do you remember... uh, it's one of our greatest concerns that we're going to miss out on something. Listen, um, remember this verse? Remember when Peter says, so there's a moment when they're following, it's Mark chapter 19, this guy runs away from God because he has so many great stuff, you know. And, the, and, the, and, the, and Jesus, uh, Peter says to, to Jesus, hey, look, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus says, yeah, well, I'll tell you the truth. There's no one who's left a home, brothers, sisters, Mother, father, children, fields. For, the, for my sake or for the sake of the gospel, who will not receive in this age a hundred times as much, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, all with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Listen, this is restoration. It's very, very difficult to explain. All I can say is there is nothing that you lose here in following Christ that he doesn't fulfill. You know how you, get, you, know how you think about heaven sometimes and you go, well, if so-and-so isn't there. Oh, well, if, uh, if I don't have that there. Uh, we think about heaven like that. And we wonder, how can it be heaven? Because we're so used to being down here with certain things. And, and here's what the writer of heaven, or what the writer of Hebrews is saying. You don't lose out on anything. You didn't see your grandson play baseball. You didn't see your kid graduate. You didn't see your parents retire and go into an old, old folks home? What didn't you see? You didn't go to the dance. You didn't do this. Whatever you didn't do in heaven, you will not have any holes in your life. You'll be absolutely, utterly fulfilled. Even the ones that this life creates, that you live with gnawing holes in your life because this life will never fulfill you. Money will never do it. I don't care how much you get. You'll always wake up the next day wondering what you're going to do and how you're going to deal with it. It could be, you know, you could be in a, you could be in a, you know, a marriage is just okay. 
You know, you got one of those marriages, you know, I'm never really going to be loved the way I need to be loved. Well, thank God when you get to heaven, you're going to be loved so overwhelmingly. You don't miss anything here for following Christ. And you know what that does? It frees you, ultimately, to do what is right. Because ultimately, you're not going to miss out on anything. And by the way, we hate missing out on things. It's the reason we don't RSVP anymore. You know, everybody wants us to RSVP for things. We don't want to, because Netflix might drop a series (laughs) right before we go. And then we got to stay. We don't RSVP for anything. You know why? Because we're afraid we're going to miss out on something. Can't commit to anything, going to miss out on anything. Here's what the big city is telling you. You don't have to worry about that at all. You, you're falling apart. I bet you are. I bet your health's falling apart. And, you might never, and I might not ever recover here. All of it's falling apart. It's all falling apart. But we have that hope. You never have to worry about it. And here's the second thing, and the final thing. Uh, the love and the serving and the sharing and the giving that you do in community is never a waste. Because when we get to the big city, we'll all be together again. When we get to that big city, we'll all be together again in this big city. And we'll all be able to see the investments we've made in one another. Right here in this city into eternity. We can invest in one another now because not one act of selfless behavior will be wasted. Millions of years from now, every investment you make in a person will matter. That's the reason you do it now. Not only is it just an offering and sacrifice of worship to God, but it will matter forever. The investment that you make in community is never going to end. Our relationships will only get better. And we will have had a part in becoming our best self. Remember in Hebrews, or remember in Ephesians 5, when uh, we're talking about marriage, and Paul says this amazing, stunning thing, that one of these days, God's going to take the church and he's going to present it to himself holy and spotless and blameless. And then finally we'll be able to tolerate each other. Do you remember that? Because one of these days we're going to be perfect. We're going to be our our perfect selves. And you're going to get to heaven and we're going to meet each other in heaven. We're going to look at each other and go, I didn't know you could be like this. Or you're going to say, I knew it was in you. I knew it was in you to become that. That's the wonder of, that's the wonder of heaven. It's all going to be brought back together. There's a great painting. Somebody, uh, Cinnamon, painted this for Anthony. It's, it's a picture that Anthony had. Anthony McCann's one of our staff people, lost his wife last week. And she painted this picture. Um, he's lost all of his family. It's just him now. What I loved about the painting that she painted, because it's one of his favorite pictures of them at the Grand Canyon, 
um, is it sees them together because that's exactly what heaven's going to be again. Just all the empty spots are filled. And the investments that we've made in one another will matter right into eternity. I told a story in the first service about uh, uh, Leo, my buddy Leo Zeb. Leo and Jen have been coming to Hillside for a number of years. And um, a couple of weeks ago, he came up to me and he said, Hey, I just, I just want to thank you for Hillside. Just because it's had a you know, profound impact on my life. And he's brought up when we first met. And I remember when we first met and he first came to, I don't think they came to a church service first. I think they came to my office first because their marriage wasn't doing really well. I don't think they were believers at the time, if I remember correctly. And um, uh, they came into my office and just wanted counseling. They were struggling. So I started to share and uh, I said some things and realized that I was, I was being offensive by some of the things I was saying. And Leo was, at the time, he would tell you it was, Angry and arrogant. And I don't know if you've been hugged by Leo. But Leo will kill you. <laughs> and I remember he got upset. And knocked a chair down in my office. And I didn't know if he was leaving or going to kill Jen and I. I didn't know which one he was going to do. But I was like, uh-oh. So we left that day. We came back another day. We started. Pretty soon they gave their lives to Christ. And they've been here a long time. And he said, you know, I am not everything. This is what he said a couple weeks ago. I'm not everything I should be. But I am so different than what I used to be. I am so different. He was thanking Hillside for the investments that all of us have made in his life. That's the picture. Um, one of the great joys we all have, isn't one of your favorite joys in the world is seeing another human grow and become, their, <laughs> just see their life get better? And see, we'll all be able to enjoy that with one another and we'll be able to enjoy it, not just because we see you at your best, but we'll know we had a part of it. We were part of it. You were part of me being shaped. I'm a part of you being shaped. And now here we are all our best selves up there in heaven. It's phenomenal. Yeah, C.S. Lewis kind of writes this, and I'll close with this idea um, in, in the weight of glory, the weight of glory. Do you know the weight of that? This is C.S. Lewis tries to capture, and it's one of the most brilliantly written things ever. I, I almost cannot go a month without reflecting on the weight of glory. He says, do you know the weight of the glory we're going to experience? And he writes this. It's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Like if if we saw what you're going to be one day, But he says also the opposite, or a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. It's like we're bo- all humans are on this trajectory. We're going to be nightmares at the end, or we're going to be transformed at the end. And so he says all day long we are in some degree helping each other to one or, <laughs> to one or the other of these destinations. 
That's a heavy, that's heavy. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all our friendships, loves, everything, all our community. Because there are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. The people you interact with, the immortals whom we interact with are going to be immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. And so he says, this is his final challenge, our love must be real and costly. That's a sacrifice we make to God. Well, Christ has made all of that possible. Why don't you bow your heads and let me just pray for you. We're going to sing just a, I'm going to do a final invitation here, but I just want you to uh, hear as we start. Father, I lift up people in this room. Maybe, maybe someone's here, Lord, whose faith has been lost. Maybe they see what you've done. Realize the burden our obligation to you and how you have moved that burden to Christ maybe there's those of us who have a cross in our past but we haven't been pursuing it and we've been pursuing it reluctantly we haven't seen it as an opportunity to offer sacrifices praise to you offerings thanking you for what you've done for us help us to see the cross in that light carrying a cross in that light Jesus' name.